Hey guys, before we get into this episode of the Celestial Podcast, just wanted to let you know my mic kind of screwed up at the very beginning of this video, so the intro kind of cuts in and out. Just wanted to tell you that so you don't get alarmed. But anyway, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the podcast of Morgan. Today I am only here with one guest, actually, uh, Jacob. And I'm pretty much a co-host by this point. Pretty much, although you won't be on the next one, so... I won't, because I'm busy. Um, although we do have some really good guests lined up for, for next episode, so stay tuned. We have some some uh, some heart more to talk about. But anyway, um, as always, before we jump into this uh, episode here, uh, today, of course, we'll be talking about the first four uh, Virgin New Adventures. Uh, these being the this being the Time Worm arc, being Time Worm Genesis, Time Worm Exodus, Time Worm Apocalypse, and Time Worm Revelation. All of which means something very significant to this channel, in case you couldn't guess. Um, but also, before we begin, I'm going to throw up a list on the screen right now, um, announcing the rest of our episodes. Uh, announcing the rest of our episodes for uh, for this year on the Celestial Podcast. So you'll see everything from April to December uh, up there. So if you want to be on any of those, uh, find a way to message me. Usually, Twitter is the best way to do it. My DMs are always open there. Um, and I check them regularly. So be sure, to, be sure to message me there or any other way that you could contact me if you would like to be on any of the episodes listed on the screen right now. I'm going to stop rambling now so we can get right into our first topic today. Time Worm Genesis by John Peel. Oh, Time Worm Genesis. Oh, God. Um, so, what do we say? <laughs> okay. I'm going to play start by playing Devil's Advocate. Oh, okay. John Peel's writing style is decent. You know, I agree. He's 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 not bad at writing. He he knows how to write a story and make it keep you at least partially engaged. Yeah. I would say he's he's good at writing. He's very descriptive. I think he's good on character, just his characters aren't the best. Like he he yeah. can develop he can develop a character well. He just there's can't. a reason evolution is better a better novel than Time Worm Genesis. Oh yeah, I really like evolution. I think evolution works really well, but um, Time Worm um, Genesis not so much. And John Peel also I want to say is a very good uh, adapter as well. He is graded at uh, he his target novels are great of what I've read, um, specifically his uh, his Dalek's Master Plan novelizations. Um, they're really solid, especially what he does for the character of Sarah Kingdom. If you haven't read them and, and you're a fan of Sarah Kingdom, I highly recommend that. But we're talking about a a a, um, a less enjoyable work today. <laughs> Much less enjoyable, mainly because um, how do I say this nicely? It's obvious from the word go that Peel does not like. The Seventh Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't like Ace. Uh, 
and he kind of wanted to say, I did this first. Look at me. Um, like, and it's been on, it's been documented that he, he did, really wanted to write the first official Doctor Who novel. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, um, uh, I, I, I think uh, I do want to quickly reference um, probably the most famous coverage of the new adventures on YouTube right now, um, Crossing the Wilderness being done by Pop Arena. He puts it perfectly that John Peel writing Time Room Genesis is the equivalent of someone writing first in a YouTube comment section. Um, and that's, I think, a very apt, apt description. Um because you could tell that he just did not give a shit about this. This book is riddled with typos and just everything about it is rushed. He doesn't care about the characters. What he does develop himself is very quick and um and just not, not engaging, I think. Um I, I know we were talking about how John Peel can engage an audience, but something about this just is is isn't as strong as his other work because he can be a very good writer i feel um but time Worm genesis just doesn't it doesn't grasp you the same way that evolution does or any of his target novels do um uh, even though or, i hear i think brian would say war of the or like war of the daleks does because i know brian's it, read that yeah is is that isn't that one of the shit ones supposed to be one of the shit ones i don't know i i hear it's divisive oh. i haven't read it personally i have a copy I'm getting around to it. Follow my blog at jacoblicklaterreviews.blogspot.com. Ooh, wow, you took it there. Um, I'm going to take it there. <laughs> All right. I so, have no shame. All right, well, so I guess we're going to start to to break this down now. Um, I guess we could start by talking about his characterization of the Seventh Doctor. This, of course, being a Seventh Doctor and Ace that are supposed to come directly off of the TV series, off of Survival, and they're supposed to go from there. So... Would you like to take the floor on where John Peel went wrong? Um, <laughs> with... Excuse my French. He makes the Seventh Doctor an uncaring dick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, which, okay, the Seventh Doctor over the course of the New Adventures does plenty of dickish things and goes very dark in places. Rightly so. Brilliantly done. Um, Just War by Lance Parkin is an example. Um, uh, Blood Harvest uh, has the Doctor essentially being buddy-buddy with Al Capone. <laughs> Time Worm Exodus has him being buddy-buddy with Adolf Hitler. Yeah, it's it's all very... It's all very questionable, but not in the same way that he's questionable in Time Worm Genesis. In, in Genesis, the Seventh Doctor basically tells Ace, I don't... It doesn't matter if you're... Se you can't do anything about being sexually assaulted because this is the time period we're in. Which, granted, I understand you have to acknowledge the time period you're in, but also Seven wouldn't put Ace through that experience. Yeah. Like, like, like the Doctor wouldn't openly stand for that, no matter how historically accurate this time period is. Look at the very next book. He literally slaps two people, um, uh, two kids for uh, for bullying like uh, a stallkeeper, uh, and 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 they're Nazis. He does. It doesn't matter that they're Nazis and that they're a reigning power at the time. He still hits them. He still treats them horribly. Um, just as the Doctor, I think, should have most definitely um, uh, reprimanded Gilgamesh throughout this book. Um, and I mean, Gilgamesh could be a fun character. Um. He reappears much later on in, in, in the novel Happy Endings, where he is pretty fun, because that's a very fun novel by Paul Cornell, all about 
uh, Bernice Summerfield getting married. That's not a spoiler. That's the front cover of the book, and that, that's the, just the premise of the book. Um, but like here, there's a, I feel like there's a reason Peeled was not asked to write another new adventure. Because oh, oh yeah. This isn't a. This just isn't a good starting point. Um, uh, he, he he does a really has a really good villain. Ishtar is a fun villain. Oh yeah, but that's also the, the the commission at work. You know, he was told to write. He was given a very specific vision for who Ishtar is and who the Time Worm will become uh, will come to be. So it wasn't exactly him creating that character it, it was very much you know this is what you have to write um uh, he also made a big misstep that um i think the only the only like that only a couple of doctor who book rain ranges have done well in that he opened the first book of the range with a bunch of fan service um like uh look at like he, he's like, there's um, a fourth Doctor cameo here. Uh, and s- I, do, I do think the fourth Doctor cameo is well-deserved because it does it does set up... Um, it does set up the arc nicely, and I do appreciate how he still found a way to include his favorite Doctor in a book not yeah. about his favorite Doctor. So I do appreciate that, and, and it did work well in the fourth timeline set, being set uh, while he was in the Matrix. But... But... Uh, but it, then... It gets, it gets cheapened by the climax which is basically seven for no adequately explained reason it just sort of happens yep becomes the third doctor again yep for but, like... but not not looking like the third doctor just having the personality of the third doctor because apparently the third doctor was better at some shit that he was trying to figure out, figure out. as Kind of like the eleven, honestly, like like the, the yeah like, yeah the doctor is not the eleven like, yeah like um, the doctor's skill set is still on a broad scale the same across his incarnations. It's but like, like what, what, what makes it weirder is it like and it lasts for like a good fifty pages, I think. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this, this lasts for a while. Like I don't know how he thought he could get away with it. I mean, he he, he didn't obviously. It's <laughs> badly written. That that's obviously the worst offender of the fan wank in this, but also like I really hate the uh, the companion cameos that immediately follow the fourth Doctor being what is it Sarah Kingdom, the Brigadier, and oh and, yeah, and, Vic- and Victoria. Yep. Yeah, just yeah, just they all show thrown up. in there for some reason. Yeah. Um. Again, this book is supposed and but also he's trying to set this up as like if you're new to Doctor Who and picking this up, you could like read it off the bat yet immediately after he does the whole introduction to like uh, he does the whole uh wiping ace's mind thing so that the doctor can explain to her everything that they are and what they do so that's a decent catalyst for introducing the audience to doctor who but then you throw in all the fourth doctor and companion shit immediately after that i think in the same chapter i want to say yeah i mean oddly enough if you want to compare this to say what i think is a really good rain starter the devil goblins from neptune it's a third Doctor book. It started the past Doctor Adventures, and it basically gives you all the information you need to know about Liz, the Brigadier, and the Doctor, and has them have a fun adventure. Like, you could probably show that book to a non-Doctor Who fan, and they would enjoy it and, and get it. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives you all the background you need, but and it doesn't feel forced, whereas this just feels like 
brute force down your throat. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, I again, I appreciate the effort put towards um, the introductions of, of, of the Seventh Doctor and Ace, but it just it it does it fails to stick the landing. It, it the the way of going about it just doesn't gel right, especially considering um, it's all kicked off with uh, with Ace naked for no reason at all. Yeah, because there's this weird obsession in some of the early new adventures, this one included, that more adult means naked. Yeah, I, like, don't, I, I don't get that. Like, as... like, if we compare it to a story that we're going to cover later on, Time Room Revelation is very adult. Time Room Exodus is very adult. There's not really nudity in either of those stories. Yeah. Yet in this, John Peel never um, misses an opportunity to describe one of the 13-year-old uh, topless priestesses in full detail. Yeah, that too. That's awesome. Like, he, he never misses a single opportunity to, to describe their breasts. And, and like, uh, it's, it's, it's awkward. It's really awkward to read, and I hate talking about it. You know, I, I forgot that that was a thing, Joey, and now you're making me remember it. It's it's one of those just horrible things that sticks out of my mind. I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? It, oh, my God. It, it reminds me almost of someone. It, it kind of feels almost like a first novel from a, from a new author mm. in places. Like, here's... Here's all of my creative, um, like, here's all my ideas. I get to play around in the sandbox. And I'm a serious author. I put sex in my books. Yeah, it's just, oh, God. And then, okay, so I want to talk about what works about this book. Because we can't just spend the entire time ripping into John Peel. Um, I know. I would one thing that I do think really works is I know you were talking about Gilgamesh earlier and how he could be really fun. I do think he is really fun at, at times in this. He's got so oh, he's with Enkidu, he's great. Yeah, they and have also a like really good rapport. When he's not hitting on Ace, he does have kind of a fun rapport with her in that um in that he has a very blunt humor um about him. And it's not like it's not entirely sexual all the time, but it kind of is. is. When it is, it's really distracting, um, especially considering Gilgamesh's first two scenes are, first off, when he's talking to Ishtar, when he finds her her crashed ship. That's a good enough scene. But yeah. then immediately after, you go back to, um, to, to Gilgamesh's castle, fortress, whatever it is. Um, City? Yeah, it's, it's, it's they're, city. they're having a feast and, and, and John Peel, once again, in great detail, doesn't miss the opportunity to to describe him. Uh, oh, what is the word he uses? Tweaking? Does he use the word tweaking with one of the priestesses or I, servants I next so. to him? I think that's the word he uses. And it's just so uncomfortable to fucking read. I hate it. Like, <sighs> is this, was this just a thing that the 90s did? No, it can't be because it's not done too often after this book in the new adventures. And it's only and every time it's done after this, it's done much more tactfully, I feel, um, at least of, of what you've read of whatever. Oh, I mean, to be fair, I'm almost a third of the way through them. So, you know, it's not too bad. Yeah, though, there aren't very many sex heavy. There aren't many. This is like the one book that's very sex heavy. Love, yeah. Like, and that's because John Peel's an edgy fuck. 
It's, it's like, it's not... let's just force sex into this book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what else? What, what else works about this book? Ishtar, we already talked about. Um, and this, and this, we were talking about earlier. This is, like we said, one of John Peel's strengths is that he's good at developing characters when he cares about it. Um, and Ishtar is one of those things where I felt like it was a character he was able to easily get behind, and she's done really well. Um, uh, the description and, of 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 the radiance that she gives off and this creepy feeling that 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 is just that just surrounds her and everyone everyone that she takes over it's um it's really effective I think um and well set up for the rest of the Timeworm saga and, and it does a good job of um like mixing in the history like well the I don't want to say history the myth of Ishtar and Gilgamesh because this is based off of obviously the epic of Gilgamesh. Um, which is a famous, which is like the first story ever written, um, potentially an inspiration for the flood myth uh, mm-hmm. of Christianity and Judaism. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's a really important story in just history of humanity. Cause it's like, this is it, this is, you know, this is basically something, one of the first things that we have. And I think that like, Peel does a good job sort of contextualizing it for, uh, I don't want to say for a modern audience, but... Um, for an audience that is just unfamiliar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it works really nicely. And um, we already talked about Enkidu being one of the highlights of this. Um, Enkidu is a really fun, not fun, but just humanizing element of the story in a, in a story so inhumane and horrible as this. Um Enkidu is a, a, a guiding light throughout it, I feel. Um, what else? What else? Oh, Una pished him. I like Una pished him a lot. Yeah, he's a good character. He's a fun, arguably fun character. Yeah, I, I, lo- I do really like the, the parts where, where he meets the doctor and, and then that's, and then Una pished him helps him defeat Ishtar, um, which is really nice. Uh, I think they have a good rapport. It, um, it, it It's a good moment in the story when you, you spend all this time with these characters that as you read, you know, they're, they're, you find out they're just absolutely horrible people and not, um, they don't create a, a fun dynamic for the doctor or is to work off of. Um, but when Una Pishtim comes in and he meets the doctor, they get this, this nice rapport, um, bo- both being travelers and Una Pishtim, I think it's explained that he's an alien as well. That was in a, uh, that, that was the reason that Ishtar crashed, um, in, uh, uh, oh shit! What's the name of the place? What am I doing? Mesopotamia. Wow. Mesopotamia. What? A, oh yeah, like, wow! The, what? A, what? A thing, again, comes what from a thing the to forget. <laughs> comes from the original myth. Yeah. Um, it's it's. Ishtar uh, was a god that had a goddess that had fallen from the stars, and um, and that and that's great. Ishtar, Ishtar in mythology isn't necessarily an evil goddess, but again, it's still a Doctor Who story. You still got to have a villain and like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, what else? Any any final things to add on Time Worm Genesis before? Um, I'd say its biggest misstep is that it need it needed to prove that Doctor Who on prose could work, and it didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much about it just doesn't work. But I, I I do think that its reputation has been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. I know I some jo- people love it. Yeah, that I cannot get behind whatsoever. That being said, what's your rating out of 10? Probably a 4. 
Um, I'll agree with that. I'll give it a four. Below average. Um, but now we get into the good shit. Now we get to talk about Time Worm Exodus by one Mr. Terrence Dix. Um, and my... What's up? Oddly enough, one of the people you think would like you would hire to start a Doctor Who books range. <laughs> but, um... But no, of course, you know, they had to start it with John Peel. But, uh, yeah. but luckily, Terrence Dix is here to to course correct in a way. And he, God, he writes an amazing story in Time War Exodus. Um, first off, characterizing the Doctor and Ace much better, even though Terrence Dix as a whole didn't quite understand the Seventh Doctor as much as he did previous he's doing, he's doing, He is doing a bit more of a general Doctor with a little bit of manipulation here and there, but... Um, Honestly, I don't blame him. Yeah, especially because this is a, this is the type of story that really needs a little bit of tact, because it could it could really go downhill. Yeah, yeah. If 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 he didn't, you know, he was he was playing with a couple touchy things. First off, obviously the the very subject matter being, you know. Um, an alternate history where the Nazis won World War Two, and then a history where the Doctor has to work with the Nazis. So you're touching, so you're, so you're working with something touchy to begin with. But then also you're coming straight off of Time Worm Genesis, and Terrence Dix has to win over the hearts of millions. Um, well, thousands. Let's not say millions. Okay, fine. I, I don't. I, I wish they had that big of a reach. Yeah. But, but still, he has to win over. Sadly, already. they do not. He has to win over a really broken audience post Time Worm Genesis, yeah. and um, some, I think that's something he does very successfully. Um, like our favorite, the fa- their favorite show got canceled in the first book. They're, they get announced a new novel range, which will continue the adventures of the characters they had grown to love, and it opens with Time Worm fucking Genesis. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Terrence Six had a big task to take on. Obviously, he didn't know Genesis would fail as horribly as it did, but. Um, but in hindsight, uh, this being a follow-up to such a such a misstep uh, really does work. So, what do you think really works about this novel? Because there's a lot to talk about. Um, um, what's the biggest thing that sticks out to you? Uh, well, one of uh, the Nazis are well done. It, it isn't. There's this odd tendency occasionally to be like Nazis are almost caricatures of what they were. Yeah, but like, and that's that's very much a product of post World War Two propaganda uh, or even during world war ii propaganda but terrence dix does a good job of sticking to what they are what they believe in um i think that he probably does his best work when it comes to realizing that um he he has to make us believe this alternate history He, he can't just be like there's an alternate history he he's got to sell it to the audience and he sells it hard yeah um, yeah it's um it's very strong right off the bat like you when they land and and i do absolutely adore the reveal of uh, of ace seeing the swastika flag on the tower and and um and that immediately offsetting the doctor's view of, of what they're doing there um it's a very striking image uh, to visualize and i think that's it's it, great it, it helps that terrence dix is a master of cliffhanger ending for chapters oh like, yeah yeah i mean a, a man with such experience in the doctor who world you know knows how to write a, a goddamn cliffhanger <laughs> well because he wrote 60 
and he knows how to write for characters in prose. Uh, yeah, he, he knows how to take advantage of the medium. There's a reason. There's a reason his target books are many and generally mostly well acclaimed. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, because and you know what? I think he understands how, that he has to, he, to. He knows how to adapt to the new adventures. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he. he uh, he, he does it very well. Um, I'd argue he does he does it very well when he does writes a, a couple of BBC books. Uh, his later new adventures show that this was not a fluke. He writes because he he writes a couple more. He writes uh, Blood Harvest and Shakedown, and I think that's it. I do like that Terrence Dix has a different approach to adult Doctor Who though, whereas John Peel's approach was make it really sexual and and just uncomfortable um terence dix's approach is well if you're gonna do adult doctor who choose a more adult subject matter because straight up nazis isn't something that classic doctor who would have done at all wouldn't have even considered um the closest it ever got was curse of fenric but that was pretty far away from the main fighting um uh, and and even then it was still it was still really late in the show so um, it was very, it was very much something that the show had to ease into if it was ever going to do it at all. So more adult Doctor Who to Terrence Dix's mind was choosing a really dark subject to focus on, and he does it really effectively. Um, he he also just does a good job of realizing that, um, you know, that with this he can go into and actually show the Nazis for what they are at their hardest. Uh, he doesn't go as dark as the Nazis will be because. Spoilers: The Nazis come back in um, in another novel. There's another novel set in World War II, Just War, and I think that one does it slightly better. But this does okay. a good job of really starting early on and trying to test the waters of how dark can I go. Yeah, who, um, who wrote Just War? Lance Parkin. Okay, I haven't read any of his stuff. Yeah, he's the guy who wrote Davros. Oh, okay, huh? Yeah, that's something. And so, Cold Fusion, and a bunch of books that I adore. All right, then. So that sounds cool. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we've already established that Terrence Dix has a, has a much better approach to the new adventures, and he writes a much more effective story. Um, but what do you think of the alternate World War II setting? Do you, do you appreciate the sort of... I would almost call it a comedic approach that um, Dix takes to writing the Doctor as as turning the neo-Nazis, as it were, uh, into buffoons and and infiltrating their ranks in a very Doctor-esque way. Um, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I, I like the way he does it. It's it's interesting. Um, perhaps it goes on just a tad too long. Um, uh, no, I, I would say, well, it's a little like less than half of the book, right? Right, but I think it takes a little while um, to get going. Um, like there, there's just there's just some awkward pacing things here and there that I think could have been hashed out a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's. But overall, I think it's a it's it's good. He he, he it's a book of two very solid. It's almost two stories that really work together, kind of like the arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, one thing I, one complaint I do have about the alternate uh, history is I would have liked it if once we went back, 
uh, to actual World War Two is if we met some of the resistance members we met uh, in in the alternate history, if we met them back then, yeah, they do. They do kind of just disappear. They do, and that was something that like I had kind of envisioned while I was reading it for the first time. I was like, oh, well, what if Papa Will and Ma Barker, what if they both come back and we see like them uh, for in, in the actual war uh, fighting against them and see where, where it all goes wrong? Um, uh, and I would, I would have liked that a lot, but they do just kind of disappear, and that's one a relatively minor complaint uh, that I do have about the book. But that being said, once we do actually get into World War II and once they travel back to, um, uh, first off, for the Doctor to initially meet Hitler and have Hitler owe him a favor, as it were, um, and then uh, and then actually get into when Hitler has power again, I think the book really kicks in at a high gear. And the book gets kind of scary, I would say. It's it's very, very dark. And, and it's it shies away from, its, from Terrence Dix's approach of, oh, well, act as if you own the place for the Doctor to where... The doctor has to be much more careful uh, working his way into Hitler's trust, and um, and I, th- I think it works really well. I think it's it's rightfully um, very daunting uh, to read, and uh, obviously why Dix uh, opted to turn it into a pseudo historical. Um, so, how do you feel about spoilers? I guess how do you feel about the uh, the war chief's involvement in this story? Mm, I think he's it's a bold move to already bring back a past villain yeah even though he's you know um i don't even think by this point anyone would have seen the war games really since original broadcast um oh yeah that's true isn't it um like it's 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 one of those things where you're like Really, you'd be surprised. Well, okay, no, um, no. It turns out it was actually, it it probably was, it was released, actually on VHS the year before. Oh, I got okay. That wrong. Ooh, so, so that's that actually might have been a very good time to do it. Okay. Yeah. So, so so I like that, but also I do think it's kind of funny in retrospect. In true Terrence Dix novel writing fashion, he can't help but reference his own work. Um, so uh, so I do think that. While it may seem initially like the war chief is very much Terrence Dix wanking over his own, uh, his own creation, I do like the war chief's involvement, and I do like that they don't just go with the oh, but I survived even though you saw me die. It's he did die. He started to regenerate, and then his re- regeneration aborted, and that's kind of a a thought that's never really explored afterward, right? Unless I'm mistaken, they've never done another aborted regeneration kind of story in the way they do this. No, they they don't. Um, it, it also is basically the I don't like the. Um, it, it's the whole. It's almost like Terrence Dix is like, no, let's not do the the war chief is the master theory, because that's yeah. that's a theory that I don't like. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. That. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the war chief is very much a template for the creation of the master of the master, but he's not the same character at all. I would say. Yeah, they're 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 not. Um, but then one thing, another minor complaint I have about this book is the involvement of the warlord, um, or rather the warlord's son. He seems like an afterthought. Yeah, kind of, because first like, off, he, he's another one of those aspects that's just kind of there for a bit and then he disappears. But also, like, his existence is kind of a plot hole. It, 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 he shouldn't be able to exist if the warlords were wiped from existence. Oh, yeah, he... 
Throne was written out of history. Yeah. So I'm guessing <laughs> the implication. I don't know. I don't I feel, know. What. I, feel, I feel like Dix just wrote it because he's like, oh, well, I have the war chief. I might as well put in the warlord. Um, and I do like the characterization of, of the warlord's son. You know, that that's that's interesting. He's very cold and calculating. Um, but also, like, just him being there, it's it's kind of off-putting. But, uh, you know, he's characterized well, so I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah, he's, he's a fun character. I, I, I think... I, I... I think this is maybe one of... This is probably the second best book in the Time War Mark... Um, I would agree. I would agree with that. Because it's not a bad arc. I do. I do like Time Worm as an arc, which we haven't. Yeah, really- I think. I think Dix doesn't use the Time Worm as much as he could have e- either here. Uh, well, yeah, but that's also because you know he did have an original story in mind, and and the, very much the villain of this story is the War Chief and not the Time Worm at all. And the Time Worm being in Hitler's brain is very much. Uh, an afterthought is like oh right i have to there's an arc that i have to follow and it's so weird because it it works it's it's weird how much it works um but then also it's kind of strange because dix isn't very clear by the end of the book um how hitler's powers were being boosted to um to take over the minds of every of of all of his followers because you have the time worm in his mind um trapped inside there and then you also have the war chief amplifying uh hitler's mental abilities so what really was it and and are we saying there are two total totally different cosmic entities that caused the nazis to come to power i kind of doubt that but yeah it's um it's the war chief is is also kind of dropped by the end of the book he um they just kind of leave him there are are they clear if he dies or not i assume he uh, dies i think he dies i think he dies <laughs> there's just a big explosion <laughs> the doctor blows up the tower and they don't really say if the war chief is inside there if i'm not mistaken yeah it's also i i, I don't know if dicks ever intended a sequel to this that he just never wrote that's it's also that's possible that's, like yeah. it happens because uh, i know there was like a bunch of planned stuff that was going to happen before the novels were canceled and they moved over to the BBC stuff. Uh, True. See, but then even writers from the New Adventures then went over to the BBC books and continued their storylines over there, like Gary Russell with yeah, but not all. And then I know I know that Vampire Science originally started out as a potential uh, VNA with eight and possibly Grace, but then rights happened. Oh, because... that so- that sounds beautiful though. I would have loved that. <laughs> Have you have you read Vampire Science? No, I hear it's amazing. Is it? It's good. Yes. <laughs> but I'm a massive Kate Orman fanboy. So. Well, I mean, I haven't read any of her stuff, but it sounds like she's solid. Um, she is solid. It also has the problem of Sam Jones not being a good character. I'm almost on my first Kate Orman. Well, actually, I think I'm almost. Oh, right, one. you're getting close. Yes. Um, was it? Wait. What's her first one? Left Handed Hummingbird. Is the yeah, yeah. And that's what the second alternate history story. It's the third. Third. Okay. So okay. Got it. I'm so excited. I'm just almost on Blood Harvest. Like that. Just ooh. I I, I get more. Blood excited. Heat. 
Blood heat. Oh, did I say blood harvest? Yeah. I meant to say blood heat. You know what I meant. Shut up. Anyway, well, I'm excited but for did blood harvest. The har- audience I- know what you mean. I'm excited for blood harvest too. So take it either way. Blood heat and blood harvest. I'm just closer to blood heat. Anyway. <laughs> God. Okay, we're getting off topic. Um, any final thoughts on Time Worm Exodus? Look, I'm just trying to drag this out because I don't want to talk about apocalypse. <laughs> I don't. I want to... I don't. It was the hardest one to adapt because I had to cut so much shit out of it. (laughs) Alright, what's your rating out of 10 for Time War Exodus? Nine. God damn it. Okay, this needs to stop happening. This happened with the last 8th Doctor video I did too. Like, most of me and my brother's ratings were like the exact same. Okay, yeah, nine for me is for me as well. Um, anyway, so now I'm gonna force you to talk about Time War of Apocalypse by Nigel Robinson. Okay, <laughs> Nigel Robinson is capable of some great work. Birthright is an amazing novel. It's got some cool aliens, some time travel, Victorian London. Bernice is the main character. Ace is in it. The Merlin Doctor may or may not be in it. Um, oh, ser- Wait, are you serious? Yes. What? Oh, yes, that's awesome. Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay, for anyone who's who's curious and has read The New Adventures, I'm currently on Shadow Mind. I'm almost done with it. Okay, I'll be at Birthright. Oh, right. So- You're nearly at a good, the good Nigel Robinson book. I'm excited for the good Nigel Robinson book because, God, Time War Apocalypse is bad. Oh, yeah, Time War Apocalypse. It's the <sighs> Crotons. Okay, so you uh, hold this opinion very firmly. It and is the fucking Crotons. <laughs> Watch the Crotons, and you will basically list read Time Worm Apocalypse. Also, there's a Time Worm in Time Worm Apocalypse for, like, three words, I think. Yeah, she appeared... Well, I mean, we increased her role in the adaptation. Oh, that's not... That adaptation's not out yet. Oh, la, 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 la. Forget I said that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Screw it. It was a pain in the ass to adapt. It took me like the longest of the four Time Worm books, I think. Which is funny, because it's like one of the shortest Doctor Who novels. Yeah, oh yeah, it's so short. I think it just barely scratched. I think it's like 200, 201, something like that. Yeah, it's it's not a long book. There are are some chapters that are just like one page, and there are like 22 chapters in in the whole thing, so making each one on average less than 10 pages. Yeah, it's it's not a long book. Um, uh, what what doesn't what doesn't help it? It's basically the plot of the Crotons. The Doctor and Ace arrive on a planet. The planet seems to be a utopia with these benevolent masters who take away some of the best and brightest students. There's a character who th- uh, who was on a quest for knowledge and kind of starts to question things. Um, one of the doctor's pseudo companions. We're gonna call Raphael a pseudo companion because that's kind of what he. Well, yeah, is, he's he's sorta. one of those he's one of those characters that Ace is like, can you take him along? And it's just like, he basically he basically gets dra- he basically gets dragged into the lair of the Overlord Crotons, um, and the Doctor and Ace have to save him. And then though he sacrifices himself at the end, it's basically the Crotons. <laughs> okay. Did, did you did you get all that anger out? Or, or no, there... I'm I'm still angry. 
This is a this is a shitty book. <laughs> okay, but the second Doctor's in this, and he's characterized really well. So yeah. Oh yeah, it's like one of I think two book, two or three books I've read that actually has the sec second Doctor characterized very well. Did Nigel Robinson ever write a second Doctor book? I mean, I know he wrote the the novel for Underwater Menace, but it was just it? Underwater Menace. Oh that. my God! Why did he not write more? Because he's so good at it. He said he he just was done after Birthright. Oh my god, because he's so good at characterizing the second Doctor, and I would have loved if he wrote a second Doctor VMA. But anyway. He, he would have probably been good at it. He would have, and there would have actually been a good second Doctor VMA. <laughs> well, Dark Path. <laughs> the Dark Path I've, exists. I've I've not read The Dark Path, but anyway. Um, Alright, yeah. so, uh, w w what doesn't work about this book, other than it being a, a, a quote-unquote Crotons ripoff? Um, well, the biggest problem, uh, one of the biggest problems is superfluous characters. Yeah, there, okay. there yeah. are at least three or four characters who show up for a scene, have that scene, either get killed off or just disfucking peer. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That, that just kind of oh. that happens a lot. That's really annoying. Uh, what else? Oh, but what, one thing I do think really works about this book is the Grand Matriarch, who I love as a villain. Uh, um, we get a good villain. Um, no, but what else doesn't work? Uh, Raphael isn't that compelling of a character in my mind. He's not, and I don't know why I chose to play him in the adaptation. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tried to make him better. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I knew Raphael was a boring character, but then I read the scene where he kills the homunculus, and I was like, ooh, that's really fun. I could play this guy. And then I, when I started recording lines, I was like, oh, God, I forgot this guy was boring as all hell. Um, like, why would Ace find this? It almost seems like Ace finds him attractive because pretty. Yeah, it's, like, it's Planet of the Calvin Klein models. <laughs> Also, what the fuck is the blue thing on the cover? That that's supposed to be one of the unlike. That's is it? The, yeah. That's, Are that's they supposed what, to be blue? I guess. Then Nigel Robinson doesn't describe what anyone looks like other than they're perfect. Um, that's why it's so unclear to to figure out what's chasing them on the cover as well. Um, but yeah, I guess that's one of the unlike, and I, I'm guessing Aaron Kraz, one of them. Um, and, uh, and it, it, after the Kirithans were experimented on. I'm going to guess the giant worm thing on the cover is the thing that kills Meryl. I, I don't know. Or it's supposed to, I, I think, no, it's supposed to be the... That's supposed to be the homunculus, I think? No, because the homunculus, homunculus is not that big. I don't even know. <laughs> I Again, it's not... It's not very... It's not a very good cover, especially which well, it's a nicely designed cover, um, but but it feels like it's one of the BBC covers where no one talked to the author about what the hell was supposed to be on the cover. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but okay, so I do want to say like the two biggest biggest things that I really like about this is first off the second Doctor segments, as forced as they are, because you know it's just having the second Doctor for the sake of the second Doctor. Um, I do like them because they do set up the Grand Matriarch well, and it makes the Grand Matriarch a really good villain. Um, 
and it incorporates the time worm well into the story. I think all that works really well. And also, I do like stories that push Ace as a character. I do like the ending, how she reacts to Raphael's death. Um, I think that works really nicely. Um, um, and that's it, about it. it. That, that's yeah. all I like about Time War Apocalypse. It, it feels kind of like Robinson thought he was ending the arc. Kind of. Yeah. But unsatisfactorily. Yeah. It does actually. It really does because, like, I swear, and like, what is it? The last three pages, the doctor's like, "Oh well, Raphael killed the time worm," and then Ace is like, "I don't think he killed the time worm because he didn't like killing when he killed the homunculus." So the doctor's like, "Oh well, he, the time worm must still be out there then," and then that's where the book ends. Yeah, it's just I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't like it, Joey. It's, it's not good. Would you like to give any final thoughts on Time War Apocalypse? I know we spent barely any time on it, but I mean, what is there to say about it? I mean, we spent maybe like 10 minutes on it. I think. I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. We'll make up for it by how long we talk about Revelation. Revelation. Um, it's... It, uh, read Birthright. Screw it, that's all I'm going to say. Read Birthright. <laughs> read Birthright. <laughs> or watch the, the Crotons. The Jacob, Lick, the Jacob Licklider review of Time War Apocalypse. Just read Birthright. <laughs> and, Actually, and... I had one of the version missing New Adventure authors read my review and of his, his book and hate it. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. What book was it? Uh, the Death of Art. What? Uh, who's the author? Simon Boucher Jones. I may have called him Simon Butcher Jones by accident because, like... I thought there was a T. So did he comment on your blog or? or... No, he 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 retweeted my amino post of that review way back. This was in 2016. I only found out about this recently. Oh my! On Facebook, and basically said, "Some days being an author makes like takes away your will to live or something like that." Oh my god! What the hell? (laughs) Oh my god! Wait, I'm looking this up right now. What is the name of this author? Simon Bush- Boucher Jones. How do you spell Boucher? I don't. I don't know. Uh, B u c h e r. C h. Is that right? E r. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to keep. Oh no! His, writing. his tweets are his tweets are protected. No. It's a Facebook post. The Facebook. Okay. Damn it. Okay. Well, you you misleaded me. Anyway, uh, what's your rating out of ten for Time War Apocalypse? Three. A three. Wow. Okay, actually, look, um, it's not as bad as some of the other books, because remember, I've read all of them. It's not as bad as, say, The Death of Art. <laughs> oh, and the... And the com... I, I haven't re- read the comments under this. I'm keeping this. Oh, I've been told to be <laughs> fucked in the gallbladder. Oh, seriously? Yep. Oh, you need to send me this. I love this so much. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> apparently I'm, I'm a fan over forty. Oh, oh, clearly. <laughs> oh, and I have penis envy. You have penis envy. Wow, that's that's different. I mean, different for you know. I mean, okay, criticizing a Doctor Who it's, book. It's not one of my best. Well, it's one of your one best, of my best. One of your best reviews. No, I don't think it is. I, I called it bad and boring. Ah. T- because I gave it a 2 out of 10. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah, so my rating out of 10 for Apocalypse. I'm going to say a 4, actually. 
um because i'm a bit more generous um that being said though so we don't avoid any boring ranking conversations that are going to be the exact same at the end uh i think we can all agree uh, the ranking of the time form arc being um from bottom to top apocalypse genesis exodus and revelation at the top is that is that correct do we agree on this yeah okay so that being said, let's talk about the God book now that is Time Worm Revelation by the one and only Paul Cornell. Um, where to even start with this beast? Uh, any any opening thoughts? Okay, um, I think it's interesting that this is the first version book by someone who hasn't written an official like piece of Doctor Who media before. And oddly enough, it's the best one up to this point. Yeah. I mean, he wrote fan fiction, so that probably helped. Yeah. But I mean, it was Fifth Doctor fan fiction. It's not like he was experienced in writing the Seventh Doctor. I don't, th- I don't think he wrote Seventh Doctor fan fiction, at least. Because this is still pretty fresh off the TV show. Jacob? What? Sorry, I'm tired. <laughs> no, I, you're I'm not. Tired. No, you're not. This is going to be a riveting podcast and everyone's going to love it. Anyway. <laughs> everyone's going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any- <laughs> Just an hour of two really tired people talking <laughs> about books. Uh- <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like my life. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Tower Revelation. So Paul Cornell comes in and does damage control to no end. Um, um, it's kind of amazing well, how perfectly he wraps up every little aspect of this of this arc. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I had a Jacob, point. Jacob, I had a point and you derailed my train of thought. I'm sorry, Joe. Make your point uh, then. Um, I love the way it starts. Um, well, because you already have the weird Ace gets her head bashed in with a brick. And that's because... like, what, the first five pages or something like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> and then when when we actually get the, the Dr. Ace in present, it, it starts off like this normal adventure, like nothing's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then everything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, because it it's pretty peaceful to start, actually. The Doctor barely mentions... Um, mentions the time worm at all. Ace is just like, so, you doing alright? And the doctor's like, oh, well, you know, just being a bastard. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's because, like, obviously, it, it, Cornell makes it very clear from the very beginning of the book that the doctor is up to something. He already has some sort of big, you know, blowing up scarrow type plan uh, up his sleeve uh, made up. And, um, but yeah, the beginning is very peaceful, and it's the start of this really high-scale uh, high concept book, um, but it starts out very simply. You know, uh, you have uh, the introduction of Saul, uh, the sentient church, who I absolutely adore. Um, you've got him. Uh, you've got uh, Reverend Trela, and then the, the introduction of um, uh, Peter and Lily Hutchings. Peter, did I think Peter? Yeah, Peter. Peter and Emily. Peter and uh, did I say Lily? Yeah. Oh God, I know why I said Lily. No, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's no reason Joey said Lily, but he, it's a slip of the tongue. Wait, that, no, that is, wait, hang on, no, no, I think I think I'm right. I think the cast list is gonna be out by the time this comes out. If I'm look, not mistaken. if it isn't, if it isn't, there's no reason. <laughs> there's that, no reason at all that I'm saying Lily instead of Emily Hutchings. Okay, they're gonna anyway. be great in those roles. They're gonna be so good. All right, anyway. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, oh shit, I lost my entire train of thought. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so the Doctor and Ace, they, they, get, they go to this place, um, I do like the little gag, um, the Doctor says, like, he's been here many times before in multiple incarnations, and he goes into the tavern, and, uh, and, and, the, and the innkeeper says to him, he's, he's like, um, where's, oh, he's like, oh, the family of doctors, uh, where, where's the, where's the young one? And he goes, oh, he's still playing his cricket, um, I do appreciate that little thing. Uh, implying the doctor's history there. Um, the doctor explains himself as we're a family. Which is yeah. kind of brought up again way, way later on in The Body Snatchers with eight. Like, uh, is, is Chodham Boniface in that or no? No! It's just like that idea is brought up again. Oh, of, of the family of doctors? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Um, I, I, it's a fun idea. Um, but you really don't get sinister until that chess match happens, which I think is very fitting. Yeah, yeah, with him and George, who we then find out... Okay, so George ends up being an astronaut, and under this astronaut's mask, helmet thing, um, is Lieutenant Hemmings, who we didn't talk about at all when we were talking about... Oh, right, Hemmings is a character who's a Nazi, he's a great character in Exodus, but he it's really here where he shines and gets to be sadistic. Yeah, so. but I do love Hemmings' motivation because um because Hemmings was obviously from the alternate 1951 um and the time worm pulled him from there, which that's a kind of that's how the time worm sort of recruits all of her 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 associates in this you know she pulls them from alternate timelines um being Chad Boyle and Lieutenant Hemmings, but getting Hemmings um he uh, he believes the time worm is is one of the uh, what is it Norse gods I think. Yeah. Gods. Um, things, or like the Teutonic gods, which I think is like similar to yeah. Norse mythology. Something like that. But anyway, um, he thinks he thinks she's one of them. And that's Hemmings' motivation. He thinks he's using, he thinks he's doing the work of the gods um, um, by exacting his revenge, revenge. And they're giving him what he wants and he's giving them what they want. Um, so that's a really cool dynamic there. And that gets amazingly paid off in the end. Yeah. Um, but more on that later. And what are you typing? Nothing! Oh, nothing at all! Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, um... So then um, we enter the Doctor's mind. Spoilers, I think. That's... that's. I love this twist. It comes out of left field. Yeah. Well, but it also, makes so much sense. It does. It does. And it kind of sets up, like, the tone for the rest of the new adventures. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I, I do want to say at the time of recording this earlier today, I saw a tweet that says like, said something along the lines of unpopular Doctor Who opinions I have, and one of them was the Doctor is not quote unquote far more than just another Time Lord, and that actually got me kind of pissed off. Everything else I agreed with, but I'm so in love with the New Adventures idea, um, and the Cardinal Master Plan idea of the Doctor, and I love Paul Cornell for totally subscribing to it. And, um, and really playing on that in the, in this novel specifically because um, it works really well and um, and I love the different aspects of the doctor's mind that we explore I do like that they explain away um, 
him seeing the second Doctor in Time of Apocalypse, and they uh, later on, I guess, explain away why the sixth Doctor isn't there, and uh, and what each of the other Doctors are doing inside um, McCoy's mind, and um, I, I just appreciate what that does for the Doctor as a character, and um, and just how well it, it, it explains it all away, how it how it. What am I looking for here? How well it wraps... I mean, it justifies yeah. it? It ju- Yeah, justifies... What? What are we looking for here? I'm, I'm at a loss for words for what I'm trying to convey. I, I honestly... I don't know. Again, you have me at a very tired moment in my life, Joey. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I, point being, I like it. I love this. I love this idea. I love that we get to see inside the Doctor's head. And, um, and death. Oh, we see death. We see death. Um, I don't care. I don't care if it's never confirmed. All the manifestations of the women in the Doctor's mind are death, except for the Doctor's feminine form. Yeah, that that which is interesting now that we have a female Doctor. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean now. Um, um I don't. I, I'd say uh, the the new regeneration cycle, something like something, that. And now something. the Doctor has has three people representing the male form in her mind or something along those lines. <laughs> or, I don't know, gender. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Shut I up. don't know. Like, anyway, um... Oh, fuck, what was I about to say? God damn it. Part of it takes a bunch of really fun, like, fantasy elements. There's the whole maiden, mother, and crone sequence. Yeah. Um... There's like the hellfire imagery, a really good depiction of hellfire. Ooh, okay, that's what I was talking about. I think Paul Cornell really likes the Fifth Doctor, which is really funny because the Fifth Doctor gets so much shit in this novel. (laughs) Well, I do like that Paul Cornell, his his favorite Doctor before McCoy was Davison, and he kind of traded up for what most people did for the same reasons. McCoy is just a far more compelling look at the character, and McCoy and Davison as different entities of the doctor conflict with each other directly in, in, in their outlook uh, on the universe. Um, Davison is a very pacifist doctor and McCoy is not, he will do anything um, uh, to, to make sure he, he saves the day and quote unquote wins, whatever, whatever winning means to, uh, to this incarnation of the doctor. So they are at direct odds with each other. And I do like, even not just here, but in in future uh, future looks at the seventh and fifth Doctor's characters, they're very much played off of each other. You know, look at Cold Fusion. Look at again this one where where they are at odds with each other, rightfully so, because they're two completely opposite sides of the spectrum of what the Doctor is. And um, and I love watching that dynamic, um, or I guess reading or listening, however you're experiencing these stories. It's a it's a great dynamic to to um to take in. Um, yeah. So one little minor thing that I love that this book does is it explains away the continuity error of Time Room Genesis in Ace's inner monologue, saying that she was there at Paradise Towers, and, um... Uh, oh, yeah! That yeah, random line that happens in Time Room Genesis. I always forget that that's a thing. Yeah, because... Then I remember jo- Time Room Genesis, and I'm like, that's, that's just wrong. <laughs> and, and Paradise and, Towers was out on VHS at this point, I think. You probably you know this, John. But yeah, but then Paul Cornell explains it away by saying, oh, well, that was something that happened when the Doctor extracted Ace's memories at the beginning of Genesis, and I like that a lot. But anyway. Um, oh yeah, so another thing that I love this book does is um, 
is uh, when the doctor, uh, when the seventh doctor meets the third doctor uh, inside his mind, and uh, and they talk about uh, Inferno and the alternate uh, universe, and they confirm the theory that uh, that the ruler of that world is the, is a more pissed off third doctor. Yeah, that is, it's it's a very good look at what would happen if the doctor went bad. Uh huh. Yeah, and because the idea is that he conquered the world. I wouldn't doubt if if it was an original idea in Inferno that 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 character was the Doctor that their Big Brother sort of character was the Doctor. Uh, by all accounts, it wasn't authorial intent. Okay. Well, point being, it's canon now because all the new adventures are canon, and the Doctor being the other is canon. Don't at me. Um, anyway. Um, Jacob, stop typing. We have stuff to talk about. <laughs> I can very much hear your typing, Jacob. I do apologize, Joey. Anyway, so I do love the thematic ending of this book. Would you like to actually talk about something here, Jacob? <laughs> yes, the thematic ending. Wait, thematic ending. Are we talking like the the, the scene that that Paul Cornell doesn't just beat the villain and close the book out? He he gives it time to breathe. Yeah, yeah, I love that he yeah. spends because like, that's that's really nice. Like Ace gets. You have that thing where it's like she's going to call her mother, but she yeah. doesn't. Yeah, I appreciate, and that's that. really important for love and war. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, is... Paul. I mean, Paul Cornell. I love that he bookends each of his uh, his his first two new adventures. I don't know if he does it. He, he does it for no future. Um, I think he does it for happy endings. That I don't remember. Point being, though, he does do the the long ago uh, in what in English winter. English winter for love for revelation, English autumn in love and war. Um, I think. Ah, uh, uh, damn it! Now, now I hate myself for not remembering. Um, no. Um. Okay, it's long ago in an English. No, no, that's not it. It's long. Yeah. Uh, for revelation, it is. Um. It is. What is it? Why? Why can't I think? Of, I'm trying to find it. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. It's got to be winter. Because that's when Trela dies, and yeah. And it's yeah, cold. long ago in an English winter. Um, love and war is. I want to say love and war is summer. Are you sure? I could be wrong. I could we'll be talk wrong. about it later. Anyway. Uh, um, so, so yes, I love I love the the very I, I do like um how everyone gets It's autumn. Song. It's autumn. I was See? wrong. See, ha, fight me bitch. Anyway, um human nature is summer and no future is spring. He doesn't do it for happy endings. Happy endings. I don't know how he ends happy endings. Well, I know he ends up with sheet music. For cuz there's a song and I, I love there's it. a song. Jacob, we're not talking about the song right now. Oh, that's actually... I just opened it up. I pulled up my PDF. And and A Love for All Seasons is how it ends. So that's, Aww, that's nice. That's after, nice. like, a, this thing about uh, seasons changing, it's, it's actually really nice. That's nice. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I do like how 
Cornell treats all of the individual characters that he created in Revelation as, as having their own sort of story to tell. Peter and Emily, um, they adopt the, uh, uh, the, the the baby that is then that then has Ishtar's mind, um, and and even Ishtar sort of gets her own little story. She's um, she's as she grows up, she has nightmares. Um, and uh, and Saul and Trela get their own ending, and the Doctor and Ace become a very small part of of the of the various endings of Time of Revelation, and I like that a lot. They're they're just another piece in the puzzle, and I, and I enjoy that a lot. Um, and it's very nice to read. It's it's very serene. I enjoy that. So, any final thoughts on Time of Revelation? Um, don't read this one alone. Honestly, you. you... <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a mindfuck. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Be careful about it. Like, it's... One, one. Also, it's not that rare. Sorry. It's it, it's just not. You, you can find it for pretty cheap. So pick it up. All right, then. That, oh, that uh, I'd say pick up the entire arc. Oh, yeah, because I would say the arc as a whole... It's worthwhile. You're gonna have to wade through two novels that you, your mileage may vary. Probably. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I think even through those two novels, though, the arc is very interesting. I think, like, despite the books being very half and half, you know, too good, too bad, the arc as a whole works very well. I think uh, I, I enjoy reading the Time Worm arc overall. Yeah. Uh, Cat's Cradle, not so much. Um, but I think we can both agree that uh, that Time Room Revelation is a 10 out of 10, correct? Um, or would you would you say a 9? No, I'd say 10. 10? I'd say 10. I originally gave it a 9, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not the happiest with all of my old rankings of VNAs and, and stuff. Uh, I, I stand by a couple of them. I, I, Lung Barrow is still a 10 because it's Lung Barrow. Um, Love and War is still a 10. Nightshade, oh, I think I gave Love it like an 8. It's still probably around an 8. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, I guess it's about time to close out. I guess, um, what is it? When this comes out, uh, the Apocalypse sneak peek will come out. Uh, we'll have already been It's already out. out. It's, it's Oh yeah, it's already It's at the time of recording this. It's already out. Um, so go watch that if you haven't already. Or listen to it, I guess. So I'm, um, I'm in it, playing a character... I do some, some very, very fast lines because I can't slow the fuck down. <laughs> you will learn, my child. Please, please, please learn by time of your life with the with the role you're playing in that. Please, I, please I learn. Will. I will. I promise. <laughs> Um, but that's already out, so go listen to that. Um, hopefully, by the time this is out, we'll have a revelation cast out. Hopefully, hopefully. if not, when, are we, when is the casting call coming out? Uh, March second. So, so and this that, is out what middle March? Uh, this is going to be out early to mid March, depending on what videos I already have prepared by this point. Cool. Um, so it's probably either either it's been cast or it's in the middle of casting. Yeah. So um. So if if it's out already, go check that out. It's bound to be really good. Um. If it is not out yet, it should be out soon. Um, and and maybe you can still audition. I don't know. It's a possibility. I have no clue. Um. But also, uh, Apocalypse trailer comes out later this month. Uh, I'll definitely have this out before the Apocalypse trailer comes out. That should be March sixteenth, ideally. 
Um, so that's when that should be out. And then Apocalypse Part 1 and Part 2, we're making it a two-part story. It starts on March, or not March, April 6th. Um, so that's when that comes out. And we're shooting for Revelation release around... July? Late, late June, early July. Somewhere around there is what we're Probably July. Yeah. Depending on when we get a cast. Yeah, so, which should be very quick, hopefully. I don't know. Anyway, so um, anything else you'd like to plug before uh, before we ship on out here? Um, my YouTube channel, as usual, I'm, I'm doing the marathon. I should probably be around the time of actually starting season 15 on television by now, I hope. Cool. It's good stuff, it's good stuff. I'll definitely have your channel linked in the description. I'll just um, go check out my other videos. Cause I'd also cool say too. my blog would be interesting. I'm doing book reviews. I think I've gotten better at reviewing since... I, I, I wrote a review of the death of art that pissed off. <laughs> I need to see that post when we're done recording this. Um, I can I can email you a link. Yeah, just email me a link. That'll be great. Um, all right. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much for being on. Um, next month we'll be talking about Classic Doctor Who season two with uh, with Lord Slar, uh, Briar Hardo two, and Genesis of Androzani, a new guest for the channel. So Who's join us. Well, I'll tell you later. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>